0: Welcome back to another week of Trashy Divorces, The Lighter Side. Hi,
1: friends. I'm Alicia. I'm Stacy. Thanks for joining us. Welcome or welcome back. We're excited to have you here.
0: This week, we're going to take a little detour. We're going to cool off our
1: heads and our hearts with two trashy divorces that didn't stick. Kind of like a Jimmy Buffett show. We're going to escape today with some stories of relationships that went bad and then went right again. Yep. Kind of a little... A little more heartwarming than what you're used to from the trashy divorces crew. We felt like
0: we could all use a little something, a little lighter this week. Stacy, this week you're gonna tell us. You want to show us what love is? <laughs> yes, I have the, I have the very fun story of socialite and Dexter Jones, the once ex-wife and current wife now of foreigners Mick Jones, New York City residents. They're the parents of the Ronson kids. The it's a whole thing and it's just it's one of I've known it's a delightful tale I've known about this for years and I've wanted a chance to tell it here and I'm really glad that I could you have one of your big time
1: favorites Oh, uh, one of my favorite love stories ever the love story of Jimmy Buffett and Jane Slagsvall which you're just gonna have to listen it yeah. just it's gonna fill your parrot head trashy yeah. heart come Monday you'll be so happy you did <laughs> Let's pull out the magic mirror and give some tremendous love and thanks to our new patrons who tuned in this week for Trashy Tidbits in our continuing November series. We covered the second half of the Mitford sisters. Mm-hmm. Oh, we did a new Stars Hollow Holler episode. Yep, yep. The uh, the best of Gilmore episodes. Gilmore Girls' love is strong with the Trash Pandas. We also had a nightcap chat, too. Lots of levels that you can join on Patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces. Not only for ad-free Sunday ups, but multiple episodes Mm -hmm. pretty much every day, but Friday through the week and sometimes even on Friday. Yep. Who joined us this week to hear all the dish? Big thank you to Joanne A., Banana, Jeanette S., Virginia C., Tabitha M., thank you, thank you. We have two new super supporters as well, Rachel D. and Janet M., for the whole year. Whole year. Holy cats. Y'all are amazing. And we do have a new... Trash associate producer for the whole year, Karen S. Thank you so much. So many thanks to all of our patrons, your support in every way. We are so grateful for y'all really are the best community around. And this is coming from a lifelong parrot head. I'm just saying, Trash Panda's better. I mean, you're not wrong. Team Trash Candy for life. Okay, but um, Alicia, are you ready to know what love is? Oh, I want you to show me. (laughs)
0: Let's go, go, go.
1: So Stacy, you have some good trash this week. Some some happy trashy. Some happy trash. You know, it's been a very intense few weeks that we've all lived
0: through here on planet Earth, uh, including somehow we got through a Friday the Thirteenth in 2020, and the moon didn't just blow up or something. It I, could well, have. We'll you see. you don't know. You're right, I I didn't go outside last <laughs> night, so maybe. So in the spirit of lightening the mood a bit, after all of that. Uh, We have a couple of couples who have turned those frowns upside down and gotten back together. My favorite version of this story is a couple of English music nerds whose passions have spilled into a second generation and are frequently tagged as the royal family of rock. Oh, really? I think this mostly happens in the UK. I don't think it's as much a thing here, although they're New Yorkers. So it's anyway.
1: Hey, big cheers to all of our friends across the pond.
0: We do love The pond and the denizens who live on the other side of it. Okay. So this is Foreigner's Mick Jones, kind of 80s mega group. Hot-blooded. Hot-blooded. Check Check it and see. see. Okay. (laughs) So Mick is a musician, a singer, a songwriter, and a producer. And his former ex-wife, and now his current wife. Okay. And Dexter Jones, who is a socialite and jewelry designer and apparently all-around cool person. Their first go-round lasted nearly a quarter century and made Mick the stepfather of three children from Anne's first marriage. Oh, wow. Those now adults are named Mark Ronson, Samantha Ronson, and Charlotte Ronson. Oh, my God. (laughs) Music royalty. Right. So we're going to start with Anne, largely because there is an amazing 2010 profile of her and the Ronson kids by Lydia Slater in the UK's Evening Standard that is a joy to read. I've read it many times over a few years, and it's really good. We'll have a link to it on TrashyDivorces.com. In it, we learn that Anne has recently divorced Mick. That happened in 2007. And that son Mark produced music for Amy Winehouse and Lily Allen. That DJ daughter Samantha had a relationship with Lindsay Lohan. Oh, my. And that Sam's twin Charlotte is making her name as a fashion designer. In New York City, with a flagship boutique store. Great. There are two more siblings from her marriage to Mick Annabelle, an aspiring actor, and Alexander, an aspiring DJ. And the ensuing decade has been really good to all of these people, all of them. Mick also brought two sons into the family from earlier relationships. So, seven kids total. So, blended family. Big blended family. Great. And yeah, like super creative, high achievers. Like, just cool. I mean, it's just a cool... Dad's a rock star. Mom's... Anyway. Then the writer takes us through in this Evening Standard profile a dizzying array of famous names, noting that Anne hangs out with David Bowie, Mick Jagger, Yoko Ono, P. Diddy, Jay-Z, Kathleen Turner, Al Pacino, Nicole Ritchie, and Mary-Kate Olsen. Oh my god. Name drop much? (laughs) Some pretty famous friends. Anne has started designing rock star themed jewelry for the fabulous set, you see. Great. And her creations were tasty enough that even her ex wanted one of her identity bracelets. Anne tells the reporter, I said, Mick, please don't feel like you have to be polite. I don't take it personally. I know he'd like us to get back together, so I thought maybe he was just trying to impress me, but he said, No, I really want one.
1: No. He's just trying to get back together, but I like that that's as, sweet. as
0: early as twenty ten she's like telling the press, like, yeah, he really doesn't want to be divorced from me. <laughs> okay. The meat of the article is in Anne's background, and I believe Anne Dexter-Jones is a person who values a good story over a rigid and boring adherence to facts. So there are many things here that I will giddily pass along, but I cannot confirm them. Her father, Frederick, was an eye surgeon who immigrated to Britain from Vienna before World War II, retracing steps his uncle, Sir Oscar Deutsch, founder of the Odeon Cinemas. Oh, wow. Uh Uh-huh, had already traversed. He met and fell in love with a Scotswoman named Judith, whom he married, and they settled in Liverpool and had five kids. Well, this is just nice. Yeah. As the story goes, when Anne was 10, the children were called into the study where her father was apparently having a midlife crisis or a nervous breakdown, you be the judge, and began haranguing the family about their bougie, confining lifestyle. (laughs) He said, it's like living behind nylon curtains. You are not really seeing what is out there, she recalls. Oh. So he spun the globe, and we were going to move where his finger landed. Hug a world! The fates decreed Australia. Oh no. Okay! On the boat trip down under, her mother became seriously ill. Oh. And when they finally arrived in Australia, she was hospitalized. Things were very, very bad, and Dad was at the hospital all the time, and there was no, like, adjusting the kids to their new schools and life and whatever. So he decided the best thing to do was ship the kids back to family, her family in Scotland. Okay. Not on a boat, thank God. He buys airplane tickets. Except... Oh, no. Five airplane tickets later, they depart from Australia when, according to Anne, as the plane headed for its first stop in Singapore, three of the four engines caught fire. Holy shit. The pilots managed to crash-land it on an abandoned airstrip. I can confirm zero details here. <laughs> None. And I've tried. I've looked up all kinds of, like, Indonesia-area airline incidents in the the and... Cr- cr- the plane crash lands. She says the plane crash lands, many people died, but the five children all miraculously survived. She even says that the Sydney Morning Herald's headline the next day was, quote, an angel brought this plane down, which sounds like a very weird headline for a plane crash where a bunch of people died, but apparently... According to her, it was... anybody
1: living after a plane crash is kind of a big deal. Yeah, and I guess if there are five
0: kids on board who survived, but yeah, like, I don't know. I'm putting a question mark on this section of this story. Seems a little like something that might have happened, I don't know. Okay, anyway, she says the kids were rescued, the survivors were rescued, including the kids. They're flown back to Australia, where they learned that their mother, tragically, had died... At exactly the same moment... <gasps> that the plane, plane went
1: down. Rushed. Boom, boom. This is a hell of a story.
0: You know what? Stories matter. And sometimes stories matter even if they are not precisely, word for word, true. I'm merely passing on information. Keep going. That hooked me. That's why I have loved I, I'm this story in. for No, years. I'm hooked. Go. What does seem accurate is that her father was deeply wounded by this loss, as you would imagine...
1: What was your bright dipshit idea, middle-aged man, to go to Australia in the first place? Yup,
0: and so he begins roving the earth with his gaggle of children. Oh, God, how the world. And says that she attended 14 schools in Australia, New Zealand, London, Hampshire, and Westcliff-on-Sea. Wow. They tried to resettle into the old Liverpool house, but that was just too sad to handle. She was caring for her younger sister through all of these moves and through all of this chaos, and in 1972... She finally moved herself to London and got a job in the office of the Aga Khan. You're joking. I'm not. Oh my God. I am not. I am telling you, I can't confirm that these things are true. (laughs) They are fascinating. I I think that, I think I actually did find some sort of non-sourced to her notice of her working at at the office at one point. Anyway, by the mid-70s, she was married to music manager Lawrence Ronson. They moved into a home in St. John's Wood, about a mile from Paul McCartney's place. And their home and their growing family became a happy hangout for celebrities of all stripes. Robin Williams once tucked a young Mark into bed. Oh, Um, Lawrence would be embroiled in chess matches over whiskey with um, Daryl Hall of Hall & Oates. Why not? um, At eight in the morning when the kids were getting ready to go to school. Keith Moon would be waxing poetic about the musical instruction that the children should have from babyhood on. It did not last. Oh. You'll be sad to know, because obviously she's married to Mick Jones now. Okay. And the Ronson family's wealth and power, Lawrence's father founded a company called Heron International, which, like, by the mid-70s and early 80s, was a gigantic company in the UK and Europe. So anyway, the fact that her soon-to-be ex-husband, was super well-resourced, put her at a real disadvantage in a divorce and custody fight. She was very concerned that anything she did would result in losing custody. Mm. So, unfortunately, I guess, while the divorce was ongoing, uncertain future, emotional tumult, she goes to a dinner party and she meets Mick Jones. Oh, Michael Leslie Jones, by the way, I don't I don't have Anne's birth date because she won't she doesn't divulge that information. So. Yeah,
1: no, we've definitely got some private spouses. I
0: don't know what her zodiac sign is. It's okay. I know, but like I shall f-
1: make it through the story without such information. For the
0: format of our show, <laughs> usually we give that right out. Okay. Michael Leslie Jones was born 27 December 1944. He's a Capricorn man, just like your subject. Fantastic. And he grew up in Portsmouth, England. He was already working in bands as a teenager in the early 60s, one of which put a couple singles on the British charts in 61. He spent much of the rest of the decade in France, working as a session musician and songwriter for various known acts over there. In 76 in New York City, he and King Crimson alum Ian MacDonald formed Foreigner, so named because of the blended British-American band members. It was three and three or something. By this point... Mick was an accomplished writer and producer, and Foreigner launched like a rocket. Its first four albums came out over the next five years. All of them went 5X Platinum, like five times Platinum certified. As well as spawning evergreen radio-friendly hits like Hot-Blooded. Check it and see. Feels like the first time.
1: Oh, doesn't it?
0: Urgent. And Waiting for a Girl Like You. There you go. Anne recalls meeting Mick Jones this way. Quote, he proposed to me that night. He said the thunderbolt oh had struck him. Oh my God, really? Him. I just thought it was a corny line. Anyway, I wouldn't have noticed if Brad Pitt had walked in. I knew I was in for a rocky divorce because the family had power and money, and I wanted sole custody of the children. So the last thing I needed was a rock and roll boyfriend. Right. But Mick wasn't kidding. Oh my God. And it was not just a line. And to prove the point, he began sending her orchids every day Aww. for months. <sighs> he just didn't want her to forget him. It was a courtship and it was in this bleak period where she was likely immensely grateful for the emotional support and also couldn't possibly make Mick the focus of what was happening in her life, which just seems really normal. But the orchids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got game, man. He's got game. Well, private Mick Jones. He's really, he seems very shy. He's not a real public guy. But
1: you're the girl. I've been waiting for a girl like you. Aw.
0: Yeah. Do you need some orchids? (laughs) He also wrote her a song. Oh, which appeared on 1984's Agent Provocateur. I want to know what love is.
1: Aw, I want
0: you to show me. (laughs) The ultimate power ballad anthem. Yeah, yeah. Went to number one in the UK, Canada, the US, and it was top 10, like, everywhere where music is played. (laughs) By the time it came out, though, Anne's divorce had concluded she had full custody of her kids, and the year before, she and the kids had moved to New York to be with Mick. And the following year, 1985, pregnant with their first child. Oh, my gosh. They walked down the aisle together. That's
1: great. You I know. write me a baller song and fill my room with flowers? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Gonna, I love this love story. Gonna take a little
0: time. Time to think it over. <laughs> Keep going. Okay. Note that because, of course, Anne and Lawrence ended up having a perfectly fine post-divorce and his family remains close to her and their kids like he does to like...
1: It's all fine.
0: Everything's fine because of course. Like she really seems like someone who's just deeply charming and gets along with everyone and is completely authentic at all times. Like anyway. I imagine there were some stumbling blocks along the way, but stories matter and the story is that everything was awesome, okay?
1: It's just so rare that everything's awesome on trashy divorces.
0: Yes, I that I agree with. So there they were with Two of his kids from a past marriage, three of her kids from a past marriage, and soon enough, two of their kids together in New York City with him in a globally successful rock band. He seems quite shy and not very interested in the spotlight, so they lived this very unassuming but still celebrity-laden and high-society life, raising all these kids with music and creativity and actually quite firm rules and a strict English nanny.
1: Oh, you always gotta have an English nanny.
0: Clearly. All of them are high achievers in their own right. When he was 12, Mark pestered Jan Winter into letting him intern at Rolling Stone because he was was a music nerd. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's the kid from Almost Famous, almost, (laughs) except he's a different kid.
1: Yeah, wow. Yeah,
0: Mark came to the public attention in 2001 as a producer and then released a critically acclaimed debut album in 2003. And he's won many Grammys and he's whatever. It's great. Later in the decade, he spent some time dating British model Daisy Lowe, who featured prominently in our Gwen Stefani Gavin Rossdale story oh, yeah. as Gavin's love child. <laughs> a while back. This is some spider webs. Samantha, who began her life in music as a singer-songwriter, got into DJing almost by accident when a club she spent a lot of time at asked if she'd come out and give it a go. I guess their in-house DJ was sick or something, and turned out she was really good at it. And really enjoyed it, and soon it was her full-time job. That's great. Annabelle Dexter-Jones, her acting career seems to be going quite well, and most recently she had a recurring role as Naomi Pierce on Succession, which I have not personally watched, but I understand is, is quite gripping television. Okay. As the years went by, everything was not happy oh, no. in the marriage of their parents. Like many rock stars and like many shy people, Mick enjoyed his drink, But by the late 2000s, it seems like perhaps the drink was enjoying him. In 2007, Anne had had enough of it, and she divorced him. He was apparently never a fan of the split, as noted. But she was laying down a marker. The kids were more or less grown up, and she wanted to do some of her own things, like the jewelry business and redesigning a townhouse she bought after the split. Well, Natch. They remained close, though. I mean, again... They have like a small nation of children, and you've been married all like. There's and a, you've been married for yeah. Stories matter. Stories matter. So it doesn't seem like either one of them also is someone who holds a grudge. Like it's hard to picture what would prompt grudge holding <laughs> among these people. Uh, and life kept happening. So after a 2011 tour with Foreigner and Journey, Mick became aware that he had a heart condition. And in February of 2012, he was in Miami Beach. And underwent what was described as urgent heart surgery. Oh my. And I am not a physician, and I am certainly not a cardiac physician, but I imagine the line between an urgent cardiac bypass and an emergency cardiac bypass is quite fine. Yeah. By his bedside were Ann, Annabelle, and Alexander. This would keep him off the road for much of the year, but it does seem like he put that time to excellent use. Health scares having this way... Yeah. Of shifting people's thoughts about life around. So in 2015, he appeared at a fundraiser for a nonprofit addiction treatment center, where before he performed with Foreigner, he told the crowd, I'm not much of a public speaker, which is why I guess I drank all those years. Addiction is a terrible darkness and one I have experienced myself. Mm. He went on to say that programs like the one they were honoring that night, quote, bring people back into the light and save lives every day. In the crowd... Anne, Mark, Charlotte, and one of his older sons, Chris. Aww. From from an earlier relationship. So it's also worth noting that while all these kids have big global lives, their New York residences are all within, like, a few blocks of each other. Really? Yeah, they're just really close. Okay, and it turns out that by around 2014, Mick and Anne had gingerly begun renewing their romance. Aww. They kept it secret for three years both so that they could focus on each other and the relationship, as well as not disappointing the tiny nation of children should things
1: fail. Oh, so the kids don't even, nobody knows. Not for three years. <gasps> oh, that's scandalous. That has got to make it a little bit more fun.
0: Uh, on March 17th of 2017, a text message went out Aww. to the tiny universe of Ronson Aww. Dexter Jones's Joneses, <laughs> announcing that they had gone to City Hall and tied the knot all over again. They Aww. eloped to City Hall, and based on Ann's Instagram feed, they've been happily ever after ever since. Mick's been sober now for quite a while. I have no trash cans to award. Uh, I don't even have halos to award. Just great stories full of meaning and inspiration and lifetimes of laughter, creativity, and love.
1: My heart is all warm. That was amazing. I, I love am- that story.
0: It's the antithesis. Trashy divorces. That is... <laughs> You're right about that, but for real, any time you run into an interview with Anne Dexter Jones in read some it, public, read she's it. Delightful. She's delightful. She just she interviews great. Stories oh, yeah. matter. Well done, Stacy. That was a great story.
1: Thanks. Love it. Thanks. Something a little on the lighter side. We're gonna come back to the flip side after we hear word from our sponsors this sure. week.
0: Sure, and then I'm I need to chow down on a cheeseburger in paradise or something.
1: come so. oh, <laughs> put on your coconut bra. All right, we'll be back in a minute, y'all.
0: Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast
1: called Pi, People, Influences, and Experiences.
0: Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than Podcasts on yeah podcast your, 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 your your podcasting apparatus watching on the YouTube he's aging himself.
1: Hi, I'm Chris Gathard and I'm very excited to tell you about Beautiful Anonymous, a podcast where I talk to random people on the phone. I tweet out a phone number; thousands of people try to call. We talk to one of them; they stay anonymous. I can't hang up. That's all the rules. I never know what's going to happen. We get serious ones. I've talked with meth dealers on their way to prison. I've talked to people who survived mass shootings, crazy funny ones. I talked to a guy with a goose laugh, somebody who dresses up as a pirate on the weekends. I never know what's going to happen. It's a great show. Subscribe today. Beautiful Anonymous.
0: Alicia, you have uh, the neighbor of Strongheart Manor, is that
1: correct? I do. Where you have a favorite story in this ilk. Mm -hmm. I have a favorite story in this ilk and I am a parrot head. I was a parakeet. Buffett was one of my very first shows. There's not a day that has gone by in my going on almost five decades of life that I have not heard Jimmy Buffett. It's my happy place. The love story of Jimmy Buffett and Jane is a love letter to marriage and finding your person and working it out. And it's an example for all of us. (laughs) There is one trashy divorce included. Wonderful. An early marriage the trashy divorce but it wasn't the one and then jimmy finds the one and almost loses the one. Oh, it's a tale with everything i love this story you ready
0: just digesting my cheeseburger in paradise so
1: fins up let's do this james william buffett he's a christmas day baby born in 1946 capricorn man so might tell you all you need to know about this story but wait there's more jimmy from pascagoula mississippi He's a Catholic kid, raised around nuns. He's in the band. He's also a cheerleader in high school too, because that's how you get the girls. Yeah. But no he's doubt. not getting the girls.
0: Woo. Oh, really? I'm I'm surprised.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he graduates high school in 1964, will head to Auburn University, War Eagle, drops out, comes home to Mississippi, where he will attend the University of Southern Mississippi. And when he gets back home to Mississippi, all through this time, he's busking in New Orleans. And he starts to book some clubs. He's making it big, pulling in crowds of 75 people a night Hmm. at the coolest places down on Bourbon Street. He will graduate with a degree in journalism that's going to come in handy in a few years, but let's meet Jimmy's first bride and trashy divorce. Numero uno. Numero uno. After Jimmy graduates, he's going to propose to his girlfriend. Her name is Margie Washacek. And young love conquers all, right? Mm -hmm. Not exactly. I found this amazing article from the Mobile Press Register from july twenty first of nineteen sixty nine. There's a cute picture of Jimmy and Margie who were married just the week before in nineteen sixty nine after college graduation. And Jimmy's like a hometown hero, right? He's played in Mobile, he's played in Biloxi, he's played in New Orleans, he's played in Auburn, like he is on the Yeah southeastern regional circuit musical powerhouse or something. So this whole article, local boy headed to Nashville because he has a new recording contract and a new pretty wife and they're going to set the world on fire. Now Margie is a local mobile girl. So they just got married last week. And before she was the first Mrs. James William Buffett, Margie is pretty active in uh, mobile life. She is the Miss USS Alabama. She is an Azalea trail maid, as well as serving On the Gafers teen, she's a model for Gafers teen board. Gafers was a really big department store. Kind of remember, yeah, they down in Mobile. Yeah, I think they
0: may have had some in Northern Alabama when it was like we had
1: Wakefields and Martins and Anniston. Like every kind of regional area had its own. Yeah. Anyway, Gafers is where you went in Mobile if you wanted the fancy stuff. Margie is also Jimmy's number one fan, and she is interviewed for yeah his local the kids th- going to Nashville to make it spread. big yeah so she's going to tell the mobile press register about her role in her new husband's career and I quote can't wait <laughs> i'm fairly critical so jimmy plays his songs for me first and i tell him what i think of them but of course his word is final i also lend him moral support believing that he is very talented and i have all the confidence in the world that he will be a great success in the field of music. Have wow. Met a Capricorn man. Also, that just sounds. Yeah, I'm not sure if she's actually met her Capricorn husband. It, it's a fair question. But the young newlyweds do head up to Nashville to make it big. And it turns out just getting to Nashville does not a rock star. Made it does not, it does not. In fact, it frequently will grind you to dust. Well, and Jimmy, he's not country or folk or rock and roll, he's not really anything right now. He's Jimmy and doing stuff that Nashville doesn't really know how to market or mm-hmm. package. And like Jimmy, just starting out, doesn't really know himself, he is trying to be Gordon Lightfoot. His first album, 324 copies sell. That's it. And then the tracks are lost. I mean, it leaves a lot of room to grow, I think they would say. (laughs) Well, he's not exactly setting the world on fire. Sure. And the strain of, well, in fact, we are actually not making it big. And marriage maybe isn't all it's cracked up to be. Young love goes bad. And Jimmy's not raking in the dough with music, but will answer an ad in a local paper. There's a journalism major needed and Jimmy's like, I got this. He applies for the gig. And now Jimmy has a job, which unbelievably enough is writing music reviews for Billboard magazine. Wow. Jimmy's like, this is great. They send me free albums. I get to get into shows. (laughs) Jimmy says he never writes a bad review because he knew what it took to get up on the stage and actually perform. It's like I I never was
0: mean to anybody. Every show was great. (laughs) That is extremely commendable.
1: (laughs) Well, the other benefit that this gig will teach Jimmy is he learns the music business. He learns how to actually make money in the biz, which is not as an artist. It's as a promoter. How do you be the artist and be your own promoter? So there's a lot of lessons that he's filing away here. I don't know if Capricorn men are kind of ambitious, but he realizes that uh, even if you're the supply... You could also be the supply chain. Jimmy says it's up to you to figure out how to take advantage or to manage whatever you're going to do. Like, for instance, here's a good example. Why am I going to pay a promoter to rent a piano in every town we tour when I can buy a piano, pay for it in 10 shows, and have it for years and years, right? It's just, Jimmy wants rights to publishing, and... His record company is like, no, nah, dude, you're the artist. You don't need to bother your pretty head about that. And he's like, okay, we're done. I'm done with this music thing. So the kids are scraping by, but even their love cannot save them. As Jimmy will sing in his song, Migration, one of my favorites, I got married too early, cost me much more than a ring. So Margie and Jimmy fizzle out fairly quickly. They're split. Ended 1970, early 71. And even though the... Divorce will not be finalized until 1972. Trashy Mm -hmm. divorce one happens. But 1971 is kind of a big year for Jimmy. With Nashville not exactly working out, it's not the right fit. But Jimmy, personable guy, has made some friends along the way. Two in particular that are about to change his life. Number one, Jerry Jeff Walker and Teresa Murphy Clark. The two of them with their young son are like, hey, Jimmy, you need to change of scenery, man. We're going to Florida. They land in Coconut Grove outside of Miami for a few weeks. Acclimate Jimmy to the culture. Make sure Jimmy's cool. And then it's time for the real adventure to begin. So they all pile into Jerry Jeff's silver and maroon 1947 Packard sedan. It's called the Flying Lady. And they make the drive all the way down, A1A, through the Keys and end up in Key West. And Key West in November of 1971, beginning of 72, y'all, fishermen, hippies, pirates, writers, gays, artists, military. Key West is a town of charm and awesome and quirky and weird and wonderful. It is one of my favorite places on earth. I just love it. But in the early 70s, Key West is a whole different I'm sure. Cacophony of awesome.
0: It was probably kind of affordable at this point, right? Like it, it's, Yeah, much it, more affordable way it than it now. is
1: now. Well, and Jimmy's, like, found a home. I found me a home. Key West is going to change Jimmy's life. He's still playing, but he's working on a fishing boat and maybe smuggling some grass while we're at it and scraping by and learning a whole new language of living on an island and... What's Island Time? And he goes to see the sunset every night on Mallory Point. His song Tin Cup Chalice is about that. Like, It is a time of creative exploration of let me figure out who I am as an artist. He's going to make some more albums. And he's going to find wife number two, his true and lasting love. And although there are one or two false starts, I do believe they found their stride. I love this story. Okay, so Jimmy gets to Key West. And one of the places that he hangs out at and plays at is this place called the Chart Room Bar, which is part of the Pier House Motel. Spring of 1972, Jimmy's friend, Groovy, is like, Hey, Jimmy, have you met my friend and roommate from back when I was at University of South Carolina? And Jimmy sets eyes on Jane Slagsvall, and our love story begins. Let's talk a little bit about Jane, Sally Jane. She's a Leo gal. She's an August baby. Really, really private, so I can't pin down the exact day, but I can verify based on a later star-studded birthday party that we'll talk about in tidbits this week. She's an August baby, Leah. From Columbia, South Carolina, Jane's dad is an insurance executive. Her grandpa's an oil executive. Jane graduates high school in 1969, so she's a few years younger than Jimmy. I don't know if you heard, he goes for younger women. He's lived with several a while. Jane attends University of South Carolina, beginning in 1969, stays through 72 because there's a spring break trip that she's taking down to Key West where she's going to hook up with her friend Groovy from back home. And hey, have you met my friend Jimmy? It's a love affair. The pair is smitten, but not without challenges. Jimmy's trying to break through and Jane is going to be his rocking support kind of from this time on, although sometimes closer in proximity than others. They date, they fight. They date more. They live together. They fight. There is a time that there's this big blow up. And Jimmy leaves Jane to go play a show in San Francisco in which he will write Come Monday for Jane. She's even in the video for Come Monday. Check the Trashy Divorces website for that gym. Come Monday is the first musical bookend that I want you to know in the bookends of their love story. Jimmy will dedicate 1974's Living and Dying in Three-Quarter Time. Good album to her. Jane's going to sail with them. They lead a magical and charmed life. Come Monday apparently works. Write me a song. It's kind of a baller move. They reunite. Jane and Jimmy get married August 27th, 1977. The Eagles is their reception band. So that's kind of fun. It's my friend Don, Glenn. So I guess he, he kind of broke through during their courtship. Well, Glenn Fry and Jimmy Buffett, I think, were neighbors in somewhere forever and ever. They were big buddies. Like, yeah, Glenn, he played at my wedding. Okay. They honeymoon in Paris. It's amazing. A few sweet things here. Jimmy will call Jane his soulmate. He is wowed at everything that she can do. She can cook peach cobbler. On a fishing boat in rough seas. She can interact comfortably at high profile events. Like Jane is a girl that apparently you can take anywhere. She is impeccable, immaculate. Like to hear she's very private, but to hear people describe her, she just is amazing. Jimmy says she's like Mr. Spock. She's logical. She's a smart thinker, smart woman in a real short skirt, right? I admire Jane for a lot of reasons as well, most especially, as when she hears Cheeseburger in Paradise for the first time, she says that is the stupidest song I have ever heard. And I agree with you, Jane. I'll still sing it every time it comes on, <laughs> but it's the stupidest song ever. I can attest that when it comes
0: on, you will sing it, but you will also say, this is the this stupidest, stupidest Buffett song ever. Ever,
1: yeah. Okay. So Jimmy and Jane going to make their dreams happen. Jane is going to travel with Jimmy and the Coral Reefers from 1977 to the early 80s. They have their first child in 1979, a daughter, Savannah, and Jane's going to stick with it for a few more years. But by the early 80s, Jane has kind of had enough of the rock and roll lifestyle, the drugs, the partying, and seeing the damage that it's doing to her husband, like There are some heady days that are happening in the early 1980s, right? And Jimmy, I've been drunk now for over two weeks, passed out at a rally, sprung a few leaks, right? Down to rock bottom again. It's not a good time for Jimmy. And Jimmy and Jane, even though they're going to remain close friends, will be separated from the early 80s for almost a decade, like eight years Jimmy says, I got eight years off for bad behavior.
0: Hmm. Because
1: Jane's a mom and there's a kid to care for. And she's finding some kind of ground to stand on when you see someone you love making terrible decisions night after night. Jane's like, work it out, man. She's always kind of staying behind the scenes. She's not the vaudevillian performer that her husband is. She's a little bit more grounded. Jane's keeping everything in line. There is a divorce petition put in in 1988. That petition is withdrawn the following year in 1989. Jimmy and Jane fully reunite in 1991 and have been happily ever after. So like they just took the 80s off basically? Then. That's I'm, really funny because they got together in the early 70s. We're coming back around. Hold on. So there's another baby born in 1992, Delaney. You may have heard of her. She talks to statues. Delaney actually has done the most magnificent thing with dad during the quarantine. Jimmy is putting out November 27th, the album that he's making with Delaney. It's called Songs You Don't Know By Heart. So when the quarantine happens, Jimmy quarantines everybody in California. So needing something to do, like he never sits around for very long. He puts a call out to his parrot heads like, What songs do you always wish that I would play that I don't? You have any idea how many responses he gets in the first hour to that? Um, (laughs) 12,000. Yeah, that was not the number I was going to (laughs) guess. So these videos are charming and have been packaged into a new release coming out with some of the lesser known Buffett songs, but beloved by True Parrot Heads. Oh, BT Dubs, I have mine on order already. Not surprised. Jimmy and Jane adopt a son in 1994. Is this my Christmas gift to you? Yeah, maybe. Excellent. Jimmy says he needs a man around the house. He's got all girls between his wife and his daughters and all the pets are girls, too. Cameron Marley is that kid named after Middle, the Robert of the same name. Bob marley Oh. So what causes this change, right? We've seen so many trashy divorces Split in that time where it just all goes bad and there's no reconciliation. There's no, it just, there, there's no getting back together. How did these crazy kids get back together? Yes. At the end of the 1980s, mid, mid to end of the 80s, Jimmy in this time is in his early 40s. And he talks about playing a particular show where he is hung over. And he's like, the audience didn't know. My adrenaline got me through it but I was so ashamed of myself. I disappointed myself. I disappointed the audience. And Jimmy in his 40s is really having some moments of reckoning. Like, I do not want my family to be ashamed of me. And my hangovers, now that I'm getting a little older. I was going
0: to say, yeah, you can you can do a lot in your 20s that you just can't in your 40s. Well, it was
1: fine when I was hungover for a day. But now my hangovers are taking just as long as post-op recovery from surgery. They're two or three days, two weeks, right? Like he is really reckoning with himself and will put himself into therapy to begin working all his ish out and does to where Jimmy is becoming pancake dad. He wakes up now the time he used to go to bed. He rarely drinks. Uh, He doesn't smoke pot anymore. And it's quite a dichotomy from the leader and king of living the laid back lifestyle. Uh, Jimmy lays back in a whole different way now with the joy of his wife and family and travel and music and friends and all of his businesses. He, at latest estimate, is worth about $550 million, so probably financially fine. Some, sounds like he may be comfortable, yes. He really did learn a lot about the business and how important it is to retain control over your creative output. There's a good lesson in that, folks. Jimmy says the key to a happy marriage is to have low expectations (laughs) and right. His summer job, he's been traveling every year for 40 years on tour. Right. Mm -hmm. So concert touring is his income. So when he's home, he tries to make that time count as much as he can. This is back when the kids were growing up, when the kids were off from school, everybody goes out and travels with Jimmy And he says they loved to see the circus, which if you've been to a Jimmy Buffett show, it is kind of a circus. Jimmy, on the other hand, says he wants his kids to have a better sense of the world in an earlier age than I did, which is fantastic. Self-admittedly, Jimmy says he is not a good disciplinarian. I am Peter Pan. Jane runs the show and pays the rent. Hard to see it otherwise. Yeah, like Jane pays the bills and keeps us Uh all very... She's the general Mm -hmm. around the place. And to me, like Jane provides the love and the safe space that keeps Jimmy and his boundless energy and enthusiasm focused and channeled into positive and constructive ways while still encouraging the spirit that he has i love jane She has provided a wonderful foundation i think that uh jimmy repays that to her not only with the love and happiness of their marriage but here's your other bookend from come monday it's a song called coast of carolina and if you look at them oh gosh it's written as the other side of come monday and after a whole lot of years and love. And this song is co-written by my other favorite guy, Mac McAnally. You do love Mac McAnally. Who has written the best trashy divorces ballad of all time, all these years, but that's not the focus of this story today. Anyway. All right. Coast of Carolina. I can't see the future, but I know it's coming fast. It's not hard to wind up knee deep in the past. It's come a lot of Mondays since the phone booth that first night. Through years and miles and tears and smiles, I want to get it right. I love this line. Uh, From the bottom of my heart off the coast of Carolina, after one or two false starts, I believe we found our stride.
0: And I, I thought he was going to rhyme Carolina with, like, I wanna
1: or yeah. something. <laughs> I believe we found our stride and the walls that won't come down, we can decorate or climb or find some way to get around. Because I'm still on your side. From the bottom of my heart. I love that as the sweetest little book into the best love story that I ever heard. I love it. I love it so hard. I love this love story. It is one of my favorite ones. Maybe
0: a few deep breaths.
1: You're very cute. I mean, come on. In the walls that won't come down. Hell, we can decorate or climb or find some way to get around. Because I'm still by your side. Like, that is. You're not
0: shaking that off at all.
1: (laughs) That is the love. So not a divorce. No trash cans. Just sunsets and coconut bras and a blender loaded up to spin some margaritas. There you go. Maybe virgin margaritas these days. He
0: does drink on Sunday. Okay. Good. That's, you know, if you can find a place
1: of moderation and like. Uh, We've got a bunch of life lessons from Jimmy Buffett coming up this week on Trashy Tidbits on Monday. Lots of fun stuff there. I had more fun researching this trashy divorces story then oh i know you've been i love popping
0: into my office for days with fun facts about jimmy and jane (laughs) and like
1: okay well done jimmy and jane 43 years absolutely not always bliss but a testament to finding the one god i love it sometimes you find a way to work it out and you hit your stride
0: i mean the 80s were a weird decade so maybe taking the decade off was not terrible Got eight
1: years off for bad
0: behavior. I feel like things picked up a lot in the
1: 90s. (laughs) That's it. That's another week of Trashy Divorces. Thanks, everybody, for spending your time with us this week for a happier, trashier.
0: Yeah, a little the lighter side of Trashy Divorces. We will be back next week. (laughs) We will. If you need us in the meantime. Yes, you can find us on Patreon at
1: patreon.com slash Trashy Divorces where we... Put stuff up most days of the week. Oh, we're going to have Tidbits Monday. We have more Mitford sisters coming Tuesday. I think we're going to talk about the love affair with Unity Mitford and Adolf Hitler. I got a Fun With Dunn happening this week, which is going to be fun with Dunn. Always something fun happening. Always there. stuff going on at the Patreon. Until we see you next week, keep your hands clean. Keep your masks on. So on. Don't even take those masks off. Not even anything. for a minute. Not Everybody even at home. Stay safe. Not even in the shower. The I'm most important totally thing you joking. need to do, besides your clean hands and your masks on, keep your hearts.
0: Very, 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 very trashy.
1: So trashy, y'all. Thanks for joining us. Can't wait to uh, see you on the flip flop side. I got to go listen to more <laughs> Buffett now. <laughs> Bye. Cheers, friends. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us. Stacey and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at
0: Carbonmade.com, and our music is used with permission of Ratzy. Check her out at Ratzy's store on Instagram.